Welcome to this week's show of Who Cares What's the Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. And this is season two, episode number three, where my guest is Dr. Uta Kreplin, the uh, lecturer in psychology at Massey University in the Palmerston North Campus. Now this week we're talking about the center stage effect. Have you ever thought about why it is that we move the important people to the center of a photograph when we're choosing to get a portrait done? Or why is it that we tend to choose the middle object when we're presented with a line of objects? We may not be consciously aware that we're doing so, but certainly within the culture that I've grown up in, that seems to be the tendency. Now, Uta has um, been really interested upon in this uh, center stage effect, but particularly upon how emotions may overlay that effect. And she's chosen to study this through the medium of choices of artworks. So we get into a really interesting discussion towards the end of this conversation around how is it that we might appreciate art, particularly when we consider thinking and experiencing art by ourselves, and when we compare that with experiencing art with other people present. Anyway, have a listen to this conversation between myself and Uta and see what you think. Okay, thanks, Uta, for, for joining us on the show. Um, really good of you to give us some time. I was interested in how you got in, in, um, into this area of study in the first place. Okay, so the um, paper itself was actually part of my um, master's thesis in applied positive psychology um, that I did at uh, the University of East London in um, London, back in the UK. Um, and at the time, I guess I was interested in emotions, um, which I still am. I, I do research on emotions. And I just found it quite interesting with it. Um, yeah, how, how it sort of came about that we um, pick, pick a place in the centre that kind of like, in a way, emotionally appeals to us and why we find that sort of place important. And I'm interested in that you actually chose artwork here um, to uh, investigate this idea that we are attracted to things in the middle. Um, do, what's, what's your, uh, why did you choose artwork in, in particular? Okay, that, that was a little bit of a mix between, I guess, two areas that I was looking at at the time. So um, my first year of my PhD overlapped with my last year of my master's thesis, which I did uh, part-time on my master's degree. And the master's degree was in, in applied positive psychology, so I was quite interested in the sort of, you know, how, how do we choose and how um, come the sort of middle position is quite important to us and how, how come it speaks to us. And then my PhD was um, looking at the role of um, emotions and art perceptions and the prefrontal cortex. And I thought, why don't I merge the two and kind of like have a look, um, you know, if we look at art, is it still the same? Do we still have the sort of preference for um, the central position, or if we, you know, look at something that's a little bit more personal and I guess a little bit more, um, yeah, emotionally um, touching to us, whether that changes and the sort of center stage effect that we have with consumer items, um, if that still exists or if that goes out the window. That, that, yeah, that's that's interesting to me because we've got this kind of cognitive process and then maybe if we overlap our emotional reaction on top of this cognitive process, how does it change? Yeah, yeah. And also the, the research in the center stage effect has mainly been done with consumer items. So picking from three, three toothpastes or picking from three pairs of socks or, you know, things like that that aren't really 
most people don't tend to have an emotional connection to it. Um, whereas if we're looking at artwork, then, you know, it's quite a personal experience and um, people tend to have sort of some some sort of emotional connection to the artwork that they like or things that they don't like, unless, you know, they are experts and then um, other criteria come into that too. But for us, as art naive people, it's usually this sort of personal connection that makes us like an artwork or not like an artwork. Sure, sure. Although I don't know, sometimes I get quite emotional about coffee if I'm sat in the supermarket and it's all in a, it's all in a line, and I can have quite a strong strong reaction to that. Um, so maybe let's just take a step back, and maybe you can explain this uh, center stage effect that you've been talking about. What is it, and and how does it show itself in our preferences? Okay, so the stage, uh, center stage effect is the idea that. Um, Items that are presented in the middle or just things that are that we see that are in the middle um, that we have a preference for them. Um, and it comes from that that usually important people, um, um, they're placed in the center of kind of like a line. So if you think about uh, kings and queens, they would always sit in the middle somewhere. If you'd have photos or portraits of them, um, they would occupy the sort of center sp- space quite often a little bit higher as well. Or, you know, if you go to a wedding and you have the top table and bride and groom there in the center, and because of that, we kind of like, um, I guess, developed this sort of um, idea that things that are in the center are more important or better uh, than things that are presented to the left and right to have more importance. And, um, you know, we, we choose them because of that. Um, and that then translates onto other things as well. So if we have not a lot of information about the things that we see, then, you know, we automatically kind of think, ah, oh, this one's in the middle, so it must be better than the other two. And we pick it. And it's not necessarily a conscious process that we're aware of that we're doing this, but unconsciously we're kind of like fall back on the system of um, central things are important. That's why they're in the centre. That's why we choose them. And does that work for um, images that say maybe are displayed on a screen or, or pictures, or does it work for real life objects as well? So if you've got like a line and you're presented with real life objects, do you tend to choose the and um, prefer the middle one? as well in that circumstance? Yeah, so research has been done with pictures a lot in consumer research. So um, choosing between products, basically, you know, if I show you, I don't know, five different um, types of coffee, um, you know, but there's very little difference between them, then you fall back on this, this center stage heuristic and pick the one in the middle. Um, because, you know, there may be a reason why I put it into the middle. It might be more important than the other ones. <clears throat> but I know of some research that has also been done on job interviews, for example. So if people are presented with a row of candidates, they will choose the one in the middle more likely than the ones on the outside. Um, so there's some sort of um, overlap onto other other areas as well, not just consumer products. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions there. One of them is, um, is there, you're saying that these are kind of like, you know, roughly identical objects. And so if you've got no other way of kind of choosing between them, then you might go for the center one, right? Okay. Um, does it depend upon how um, our attentional processes work? Because I'm I'm wondering whether we tend to look in the center of things rather than the edge of things more, and so because we're looking at them more, that's why we choose the center. Is is how how do you start to tease those two effects apart if they are linked? That is, I, I guess there are two theories of why we would put, pick the center. Um, eyes more than the other one. So the one of them is the center stage heuristic, so the sort of cognitive process behind it. And the other one is the allocation of attention. So, um, you know, we look more at the central things if we're presented with, I don't know, a choice of three. 
Um, and because we pay more attention to it, we start to develop sort of a preference to that. Um, and that was also a part of the research um, of this paper that we wanted to find out um, if it is the attentional aspect or if it is sort of the, the cognitive thought process behind it. And that's where we use the eye tracker to kind of like see where people would look more and people tend to look more where they pay more attention to. Mm. Um, to to tease that apart, yeah. And I and I guess that we, I'm wondering about this sort of cognitive um, heuristic. Is it is it something that, um, like you say, we don't have unco- we don't have conscious control over? Is it something that's hardwired, or is it something that we learn because we've been exposed to so many occasions where the center thing seems to be the best thing or the most high status thing. Like you say, you know, in old portraits and pictures, we see the king and the queen in the middle. We see the most important people in the middle of photos that we uh, we look at. How much can we um, differentiate between whether this is a hardwired thing or something that we learn? So, for example, are there cultural differences, perhaps? Um, I'm not aware of any research, but I would say that it is a learned aspect rather than a hardwired one. But it will be interesting to take the study to, you know, some other cultures that don't pay so much attention to the to the centre as being an important position and repeat the research and see whether, you know, it holds holds true there or whether that things things will change. My inclination is to, to say that it would change um, and that it's more learned cultural kind of like thing rather than something that's hardwired. Sure. Okay. I don't know about any research that has looked into it. Yeah, it would be interesting, I think, you know, if we could find cultures yeah. where they say actually to the right is is where the important things are uh, and, yeah. and seeing whether that um, where we have a right stage um, preference or um, gaze tends to linger perhaps more on the right side of images or of uh, choices that we have. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the, um, the sort of eye tracking data to see whether it's attentional or um whether there's more to do with the center stage heuristic I think things are important that are in the middle. Um, our results were a little bit mixed there. Um, and that maybe it's it's a little bit of both. Um, because we used identical images for the artwork and also positive and negative ones. And then we also had a set of images that were quite similar, but they weren't identical. So you would have to go and, I guess, go on other ideas of kind of like picking your your um, preference rather than just, you know, these are three identical images, I'm just going to pick one. Um, and the eye tracking data was a little bit different. So the center stage effect only existed. I'm going skipping ahead and telling you what we found. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, yeah, let's just pause there um, for a second and let's just set this up. So tell us what, what it is you did and what you were trying to find out here, because it seems quite important because you've got artwork here and you've got an eye tracking measure and you're also looking at... Um, altering positions of the artwork. So let's set this up and explain what you did. Okay, so what we did is um, we had three different um, conditions, I guess you would call it, but three different scenarios. So one scenario was that people would look at three different artworks that were identical, exactly the same, and they were positive. So the pictures that you would look at, you would think, oh yeah, this is quite a happy thing or quite a a positive thing to look at. Um, and then we had um, three different artworks that were exactly the same, so they were identical, but they were negative. Um, so they were a little bit, yeah, gory and not not quite so nice to look at. Not too bad, but just a little bit negative. Sure. Um, and then we had uh, three different objects that were um, similar, but they were not identical. Um, so, for example, we had an image of um, or, or a painting of a raspberry that was laying on the floor, um, and the raspberry was just from slightly different angles. So, depicted slightly differently in the images so they were similar but they weren't exactly the same 
Um, and then we simply asked people to go and sit in front of the computer and tell us which one they preferred out of the three of them. Um, and that's what people would do. And then in a subset, we recorded um, with an eye tracker where they looked. <clears throat> so whether they would look more on the center um, item, on the center picture, or whether they would look more to the right or to the left. And we also looked, uh, recorded where they would look first. So would they look first at the center or the right or the left? Um, and also where they looked last. Uh, so what, well, where was their last fixation? Which image did they look at um, last? So that's the setup. Okay. Uh, of the experiment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So um, what did you find uh, when you were looking at these different scenarios? Let's walk through the the, the results that you obtained. Okay. So um, the center stage effect, we only found for the positive identical items. So I think that's quite interesting in itself that um, when the items were negative, so the pictures were negative, then the center stage effect didn't seem to exist. Huh. Um and also when the items were slightly different, then we didn't find the center stage effect. So it has something to do with, you know, these items, they have to be positive in order for us to do that. And it kind of makes sense if you think about the theoretical um, sort of background that, you know, it's things that are important, that are good, um, that are in the center. Um, and that's why, why we have that sort of association with something that we like, something that's important that's in the center. So if something that um, is presented in the same way that's negative and we don't like, um, then this sort of center position doesn't become so important anymore. Um, so I think it makes sense to to only find this for the positive images and not for the negative ones. Um, and one of my co-authors found, found something similar that when they asked participants to say what they liked least uh, rather than what they liked most, then they also didn't find the center stage effect. So it really has something to do with the, the liking of a positive aspect that occupies that space. Okay. So did you did you find anything um, in the eye tracking data with the subset of participants that you were looking at? Because I guess in my head, I'm thinking, if you're presented with something that you actually don't like that much, it's slightly aversive and quite negative. I'm wondering if your eyes go, you actually avert your eyes away from it. And therefore, you're not really paying as much attention. So you don't really have a preference for any of them. I'm just wondering what, what you found there. Um, we thought that might also be the case, but I don't think the eye tracking data really um, reflected that. Um, so there wasn't really much of a difference between the uh, positive and the negative items in, in terms of where people looked. So um, as you could imagine, it was a computer screen that we presented the images on. Um, so people did look more, um, or first fixations were tend to be in the center of the screen because that's where your eyes fall most. But that was the same across all of them, so there wasn't really um, any difference there. <clears throat> But then also for the, uh, with, you know, maybe people look more at the images that they will then prefer at the end. And for the positive images, that wasn't the case. So we had to look at what, what would predict which image was like. Um, and for the positive images where we find, found the center stage effect, it was just the last fixation. So where participants looked last was a predictor to which image they would prefer. Uh -huh. um, so it's not really an attentional kind of like process. I guess you would just sort of, maybe take a double take on the last image that you look at and then you click the button saying, yep, I prefer this one. But it wasn't really the sort of attentional bias that we would expect. Um, you know, we look more at the things that, that we like and because we we look more at the center, that means we would like the image anymore. We didn't really find any evidence for that. So it's almost like a recency effect, isn't it? It's almost like yeah. it's not the amount of time that you spend looking at this particular group of objects. It's what you looked at last, which you have the, the preference for. Yeah, yeah. 
in a way, yeah. Although I don't know if it's really a, a true recency no. effect as such, because it may be just a double take before I'm like making the um, the choice. True, it might um, be like a uh, an assertion of like, yeah, no, actually, I did, I thought yeah. I liked that, but yeah, I do like that one yeah. last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I think that that sort of was the case for the center stage attack. So, so for the for the positive images um, that were identical, uh, the most likely explanation for that is this sort of idea of the you know, the sort of center stage heuristic that's driving the decision behind that. Um, what was interesting is that for the images that were different, um, it was a different um, scenario. So there, um, the image that people looked at most uh, was kind of like chosen rather than, um, you know, irrespective of which, which location it was in. Um, but there would then suggest, you know, that, that there's a little bit more decision making behind it um, and that you you view the image that you then prefer at the end more than the other images which wasn't the case for the identical images that's really interesting because it does seem to indicate perhaps there's a different process going on here that people are somehow processing that choice differently to when they're looking at identical images yeah yeah um so i guess in a way there's a little bit support for the center stage effect um but not necessarily when the um when other aspects have to be taken into consideration for the for the choice that you make, then the center stage effect is, is overruled. And I guess you can you can maybe think of it a little bit like uh, one is picking and the other one is is really choosing. Um, and if you have the center stage effect, you're just picking something, and then you fall back on a really quick shortcut of you know finding something that's more important than the others because they're pretty identical. So you know you're just making a decision that's that's almost. Yeah, you just sort of take a pick of, of what's going on and then you fall unconsciously back to these these center stage heuristic kind of like processes. Whereas if there's a real difference between the images that maybe a little bit more, um, you know, require you to process the images a little bit more, think a little bit more about your own preferences, then it's a different system or a different process that you, you use to make that choice. Have you come across any research where... Um, um, the participants or the people that are being studied are not naive to the objects that are being presented to them. So they have some prior knowledge around that. So, for example, would you have done this, um, if you'd have done this work with, um, say, perhaps a bunch of photographers who spend a lot of time looking at minute differences between images and trying to come up with a preference. I'm wondering whether they may use a different kind of um, process by which they, they, they make these choices rather than people who are coming to um, a completely um, new scenario for them where they have no familiarity. Um, I'm not aware of any research doing that, but I think it's a very interesting idea <laughs> um, to kind of like yeah, fashion photographers or something like that that are used to looking for for very small differences or so and i could imagine that they would use not use the center stage um heuristic to make that decision um because i mean in a way it's kind of like a, a, a quick and dirty shortcut um to making a choice from something that isn't really relevant um yes. but that you're asked to make a choice about that's right and perhaps also when you're feeling quite overwhelmed you know, yeah. it's actually there, there, there's there's so many different things to process here and I'm actually running out of time or I'm running out of cognitive space. And I'm feeling tired, so I'm just going to pick this one because I have a belief that, you know, the ones in the middle are always going to be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, so what do you think um, 
the implications of something like this is Uta in terms of how we can use this in our um, everyday life, or perhaps how um, we, what are the questions here that that need further for further study? What's the what's the point here for you? How's how are you going to take this forward? Well, I guess I mean the the it has sort of quite implications for for everyday life. I mean, one is supermarkets can exploit this. And, you know, maybe push projects that don't sell so well by putting them into the middle and then increasing selling rates through that. So for the consumer market, I guess it has a big implication. Um, but also, you know, if you are the consumer and you're aware that, you know, supermarkets manipulate you by putting things into the center uh, rather than on the outside. So you might make a different choice next time around. That takes something out, you, know? you might actively try and fight against this center state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not choosing that because you want me to choose that. So I'm going to choose this yeah. thing on the right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it can kind of like work both ways. But I guess um, we, we probably, I mean, this, this picking sort of aspect, um, you know, but with the images that I showed that were exactly identical artworks, I mean, it's a little bit of a weird choice to make. You know, you're presenting with three exactly the same. Still me, um, you know, which one do I prefer is a bit of a weird question. But we do come across these sort of scenarios i think more often than we think that we do in supermarkets you know where the, where the differences are either minimal or hardly not existing and, and we have to go and make a choice somehow <laughs> so the sort of picking happens quite a lot and it can be yeah exploited by both sites so supermarket can markets can do it or on the internet as well when you're just tiny small little images and you know first looks or so they will look exactly the same of what you're trying to to buy <clears throat> Um, and then being aware that, you know, yeah, companies might use that to push products that don't sell so well for some other reason. It'd be quite useful, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. I had a question. Um, oh, sorry. Yep. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I mean, it can have other um, more positive, maybe, um, implications too. But um, if, you know, for example, we're trying to sell health insurance or, or, or you know, um, push sort of other governmental products, I guess we can... Um, put the put the ones that would be um, make the decision easier for people by putting things that would be better for um, I guess the, the wider society in the middle. Whether you could argue whether that's better or not better, but anyway, you know, you could manipulate choice there as well by kind of like going, you know, I'm offering you a choice and I'm putting the one that I think is the best in the middle, so that hopefully, you know, without you having to go through the whole process of going through it, you can still make a good choice. So this is the idea of behavioural economics, this kind of nudge yeah. theory. Yeah. 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 So, people agree or disagree with this is a different question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, a lot of people find that approach a little, a little bit manipulative. Yes. Manipulative, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it is some way where, you know, this, this sort of research can have implications. It is. And there's arguments here that actually if it's for the better social good, depending upon who judges what social good is, then yeah. perhaps making that the default choice by placing it in the middle because you know that people are attracted to that choice, then perhaps that does more community good than harm. But I guess it depends upon who's setting the parameters for what yeah. good means. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And so does this work with, because um, I guess you've done imagery here, well, what's the evidence that this works with text-based choices that people make? And does it matter whether they're arranged in a row, in a line, or does it work with um, items arranged in columns or even in a grid? Say, for example, like a three by three or a five by five grid, do we still migrate towards the center choice? Um, 
I guess the the first part, whether this also works with text, I'm not sure. There may be some research out there, but I can't recall any at the moment. Um, in terms of whether it works with a grid, I think there's some research that shows that um, it doesn't necessarily need to be aligned. So um, other sort of formations will, will still produce the center stage effect. Okay. I, I'm, I'm also wondering about... Um... I mean, this may seem like a, a weird question here, but I'm just going to talk about my own experience. So let's say, for example, I was sitting a multiple choice test. This may or may not have happened in my life. Um, and I was struggling in this multiple choice test. And so instead of choosing in, in a five choice test um, item, you know, I chose C, you know, maybe for three items in a row. And, you know, maybe across the average of a test, if I carried on doing that, I might get a particular score. I might get, you know, um, 50%, uh, let's say um, 20% Cs in that test, and I might get 20% of them. But let's say I, I choose to vary my um, answers because I don't want to uh, bias myself by choosing all Cs because I feel like somehow I'm unevenly distributing my choices. If you present people with a long series rather than just two or three choice tests, does the center stage heuristic hold or do people start randomizing their answers because they become aware that I'm choosing the, the center one and that feels somehow discomforting? Okay, so I mean, if, if they're all listed underneath each other rather than sort of present it one at a time. Yes, that's right. So do people actually become aware of the series and then start choosing differently? Mm. So the research that I'm aware of, I mean, there, there's research that uses more than three options that are that, that use five, or I think even even more than than sort of five options in a row. Mm. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. I think all of the the research that I'm aware of shows them one at a time rather than as a list underneath. Right. And then I think you you don't you know if, if you're doing these fairly quickly, um, you don't really track because you can't see what you've just put. Um, before you forget that, you know, maybe this is your fourth or fifth in a row. And then maybe randomly you pick one of the other ones or so, but I think overall the pattern of the center stage will come through. That may change if you present them all at once. Yes. That's true. Yes. And then people go, hmm, <laughs> feeling a bit silly, you know, they always choose the middle. <laughs> well, that's that's what I mean. It's like suddenly you become aware and you're like, oh, hang on, this doesn't feel right. Um, or maybe I should choose some other ones instead. Um, you almost become, and I guess this is my next question. You almost become a little bit meta. You become aware of your own your own choices, and so I'm wondering what that feels like, or what happens when people are asked to choose on behalf of other people. And I'm thinking about presence or something like that. If I'm looking in, a, if I'm looking at a web catalog or something, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to buy for somebody else, and I might be naive about the particular topic, um, say it's. I don't know, candles or um, a particular style of um, shoe, say, for example, um, and I don't feel positive or negative about them. Do people still go to the center stage effect or do they try to bear in mind what that other person might choose? What, what do people do? Um, I think people still hold true to the center stage effect. I vaguely remember reading about this this morning, but I can't quite remember what the result of it was. Uh, because I think that, you know, people often ask, websites often ask, are you choosing for yourself or are you choosing for somebody else? And I wonder if they manipulate the choices that you're presented with according to whether you're buying for yourself or for somebody else, because you 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 look at the items differently according to what you're trying to do. 
Yeah, probably, but I'm not entirely sure what the research around choosing for other people is, I have to say. Yeah, um, it, I'm curious about it because, you know, often people are choosing for, let's say, their children uh, and not themselves. Yeah. And I wonder if they employ a different attentional mechanism um, because of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the research around that is. Sorry. No, that's okay. I'm just um, <laughs> curious about it. Yeah. Uh, so what's what are you involved in at the moment, Uta? Because this is um, research that was published um, just uh, just over a couple of years ago now. What, what what's uh, what what's uh, what are you curious about and working yep. on right now? Um, so I guess now I've um, so this this was kind of like my master's project, and then my PhD looked at um, emotional processes in the prefrontal cortex in relation to art. Um, and that sort of idea of looking at, at emotions in the prefrontal cortex and how the, the prefrontal cortex, so the most, the part underneath of your forehead of the brain, how that is involved in, in um, emotion processing is what I'm looking at again now. So why is that um, important? I, why is the prefrontal cortex important? Um, the prefrontal cortex um, does a lot of things. <laughs> it's very helpful. Um, but one of them is that um, is involved in memory and is involved in um, sort of self-referential processing. So when you look at um, me compared to others um, and also um, in sort of other um, related processing. So it's kind of like a bit of the control center of the brain, I guess, if you mm. want to, if you want to call it like that. Um, and there's quite a lot of research that says it is involved in, in um, emotional processing. So when you look at emotions, um, but one of the areas that I find quite interesting at the moment is to look at how changing contexts um, influence that sort of processing of the emotion. Um, so again, sometimes I still use art Quite, quite an interesting stimuli to look at but how does it change if I look at the art by myself or if I'm in a group um, you know if I, if I sort of say, uh, change the settings around it that I'm looking at this um, and if the prefrontal cortex is more to do with um, the sort of experience and, and teasing out what the emotion means to me then that should have an impact uh, on the activation uh, that's going on there that's that's I'm um, because often you know when when I go to galleries or when other people go to galleries you're often um, in different contexts you're either with people or perhaps people that you know or you're in a crowded gallery and there's lots of people around and you don't know them but you wonder what and how I experience that differently compared to yeah. if I was sat there by myself. Yeah, exactly, and and I do think it, it makes a big impact. Whereas most research is is always done in isolation, so you're just by yourself in a room that is quiet in front of a computer and you don't have those sort of contextual influences there anymore. Whereas I think they are actually really important and, and also whether they can change how you feel about the painting and, and sort of the experience that you have. So if you're by yourself in a quiet room or if you're in a crowd that's quite vocal about, you know, may, maybe in a group of strangers and all the strangers go, Ooh, this is really exciting. You know, will that change your own experience? And how is that reflected and um, activation in your brain? Mm. And I think you're you're hitting upon something quite um, quite profound and fundamental. I think around a lot of psychological research, it's very individually focused, and we do these experiments and we generalize from this one person's experience. Whereas I think what you're saying here is that that's not particularly valid or relevant to actually how people live their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a complex issue because I mean. When we're talking about brain imaging, also you have to take the equipment, and a lot of equipment isn't really suitable for uh, group scenarios. But in a lot of our experiences, aren't in isolation somewhere in a computer room, 
uh, where there's no one around. So how can we go and find sort of a middle path where we don't ruin our measurements by introducing too much noise, so outside influences, but still make it a little bit more real life, I guess, rather than these sort of isolated experiments. Mm. I've read about some um, experiments. I think it's... um... I think it's James Cohen, I think that's his name, who, who's done some work around um, connection with others whilst people are undergoing these sort of experimental manipulations and, and measuring uh, conditions. And I think that he's done some experiments where the mere fact of holding somebody else's hand and you don't even need to know that person, they don't even need to be well known to you, actually changes quite fundamentally how people approach problems because they are tapping into the presence of another person as a social resource and they approach the problem with the benefit of knowing that they've got that resource even though they aren't able to actually help them it changes quite fundamentally how they um, look at and react to that experimental condition yeah yeah i could definitely see that it's quite interesting i think there's another um team at, at Massey too who uh, look at um, food preferences, and they've done some facial electromyography studies. Um, so where you measure the activity of the muscles in the face to see what sort of reactions you have, and they get effects when they get people to taste like bitter and sweet things um, for the negative ones, so the bitter ones, but not so much for the positive ones. But then, if you think about it, if you're displaying positive emotions towards food, then that's usually in a social context. So it's not too surprising if you take that social context away that the results kind of like disappear. So that's something they want to look at too. You know, what if we change the, the social context that this experience is happening and will we get different results? Yes. Yeah. Or would you get those little, you'd still get those facial twitches, but they become much more um, micro expressions rather than full, full expressions because we must yeah. and we inhibit them. I think for the for the positive reactions, it'll be the opposite way around mm. that you display the more. So, I mean, if you're thinking about you eat a strawberry by yourself, you're not going to go and break out into a big smile. I mean, mm. you'd feel a bit, a bit silly. But if you eat it with someone else together, then you might do that to kind of like show them, oh, this is amazing. Um, you know, really tasty little sweet strawberry. So you would display, display the um, expression with other people, but not when you're alone. And there we have it. We're done for another week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Uta. Don't forget you can follow the show on Twitter at WCWTP. If you did enjoy the show, and I hope you did, please leave a review on iTunes. It makes a massive difference in the uh, availability and the ease of which people can find the show. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube as well, actually. Um, So please listen again check out the back catalogue and until next week you've been listening to who cares what's the point with your host and producer sarb joe hell see you next week